0: It's good to be with you today. I'm so thankful that you are here. If you're a guest this morning, we are really thankful that you've chosen to join us as well. I do want to make one uh, note before we begin this morning, and I know we'll be praying for the uh, for this and the Shepherd's Prayer here in just a minute. But um, if you didn't see the message, the email that uh, Byron Johnson passed away. Um, that and the details and the arrangements for that there's a visitation this afternoon this evening it's from six to eight at Parker Ashworth here in Kaufman, and the funeral will be here tomorrow one thing I want to mention because I made kind of a vague statement in the email that I sent out yesterday about the meal uh Cheryl and I have talked and they they're actually going to be catering the lunch tomorrow and so they don't need us to provide a meal but um just We're doing some dessert and stuff like that, and I think Alicia Ladue has most of that already taken care of due to the number of you that have already volunteered. But you can check with her afterwards to make sure about that. But uh, we're mostly just providing the space for their lunch and for uh, the meal and some desserts and tea and that kind of thing. So, but do be praying for the Johnson family uh, in the coming days and weeks, um, and hopefully you'll be able to join with them either this evening or tomorrow. So we are in week three of a series which uh, seems appropriate, thinking about becoming church, talking about church and what it means to be the church, uh, that we would also have moments where we talk about grief and walking with one another through grief, and we also recognize that as we gather for worship that our hearts are lifted to God and we, we celebrate all that has been uh, happening in Christ Jesus in our lives because of what He's done for us, and that all of that the hard stuff and the joy of life uh, is a part of what we are about as a church and part of and, and a part of what it means to become the church and to be the church and so in this series that we 're talking about becoming the church, this is week three, uh, and we 're working through the book of First Corinthians as we think about becoming the church and kind of looking at each of these chapters in this letter that Paul wrote to this church in corinth and one of the things that I've said, and I want to kind of keep repeating because I think it's important for us to recognize, is that sometimes when we read the Bible, we think about these churches, and maybe you put them up on a pedestal. You think that they're some sort of special classification of church, but the reality is they are flawed and perf- imperfect and broken, just like us, and that yet these are the churches that, that Paul writes to to encourage and to exhort them to live in a way in their context, in their culture, to be Christ where they are. And so Corinth is a church that, as, as, as I've said, that is has lots and lots of problems. And that sometimes people might even look at that and not put them up on a pedestal, but might say, well, there, there are so many problems in Corinth, we don't really want to be like the church in Corinth. And, and what I'm suggesting in this series is that actually maybe they are the kind of church that is worth a look, worth giving a, an opportunity to from our perspective to see what are some things that we can learn about them as they speak into our context here as Paul's words speak to us and so we're studying through this book in an attempt to become the church that God imagines for us here in Kaufman County and I want to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that's where we're going to be together today and we're going to read uh, that chapter and Paul's words to the church in Corinth there uh, but before we do that, I want to lead us in another prayer, and so I would ask that you would just bow with me really, really quickly. Father, we're thankful this morning to be here, and I know that we come this morning uh, with all sorts of things on our hearts and minds. Some of us had a hard week, and we had uh, a variety of things with family and work that weighed us down, that are weighing us down even this morning. And I pray, God, that we'll bring those to you and lay them at your feet this morning. We've we've sung that we believe you're all to us and I pray you'll actually help us believe that and live that out now. That that you're capable of taking everything that's going on in our life and in the world and in this church and that you're you're capable of of carrying that for us. And I pray this morning, Father, that you'll give us ears and to to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see in this this letter that Paul wrote to this church a long time ago that still speaks to our context today here in Kaufman. I'm grateful for this church and the way that we are living out what you've called us to be in this place and the way that we imagine that you can continue to do that in our future. We pray that you'll help us, that your spirit will embolden and empower us, that we will live into the spirit of God that is at work within us recognizing that we have the mind of Christ. And we pray through the name of Jesus this morning. And the church said, Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul continues. And he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his own task. I planted the seed, Paul says, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid which is Jesus Christ if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus Christ using gold silver costly stones wood hay or straw their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work and what has been built if what has been built survives the builder will receive a reward if it has been burned up the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though as w- only as one escaping through the flame. So I want to stop there, and we're going to read some more in just a minute. But I want to stop there and just kind of talk about what Paul is, is saying in these 15 verses, because he said a lot. Paul, being the good preacher that he is, likes to repeat himself. It's just in our DNA. We can't really help it. And so he's, he's writing, and he is repeating himself. And one of the ways we see this happen is, is, is that he says, you know, he's, he's saying the same things in chapter 3. If you either listened, if you were here for the, either one of the first two weeks or you listened to them online, you recognize some of the words that he says. You might even think, Doug's already talked about some of this stuff because I have in the first two chapters. Paul is kind of bringing chapter 1 and chapter 2 together and beginning to make some points, repeating himself in a lot of ways. He's already talked about the Apollos and Paul argument. He's already talked about... Uh, unity and the the value of unity and and the importance of that. He's already talked about spiritual maturity or lack of maturity in their case. Uh, And and he's kind of bringing in chapter 3 what he said in chapter 1 and what he said in chapter 2 together so that he can kind of remind them of some of that stuff, but also so he can kind of, you know, solidify that idea and move on to what he wants to say next. Paul is trying to help this church become the church in Corinth. And they're, they're confused, they're curious, they're, they're asking questions like, who's in charge? And he says, Jesus is in charge. They're asking questions like, how do we grow? Why do we grow? And, and his answer is, God is the one who makes all things grow. It's not a preacher, it's not a teacher, it's not a specific one. It's the Spirit of God that is at work within you, which we talked about last week. And so then Paul makes this, this turn. That's, that's really a summary of the first 15 verses that we just read. And Paul makes this turn now at the end of chapter 3, which I think is really the key message in this chapter that he's trying to communicate. And I want to spend the majority of our time this morning talking about verses 16 and on. So if you'll keep reading with me, I'll finish reading this chapter. He, He continues. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? See, a minute ago, really quickly, this is a little bit of a free thing here. He's, he was talking about if anybody builds on this foundation, he's not talking about a building, he's talking about our lives, right? And so he's going to continue that idea. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple, Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, also Peter, which is another what name for Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. So I love to look at old church buildings. I love the architecture, uh, the stone, I love the story that each old church building tells. And this summer, Lana and I had uh, the opportunity to travel to France, and if you've been anywhere in Europe, you know that there are churches in every place, on every corner, in big cities and small villages, and that most of the time in Europe, at this point in history, they're empty. Big, beautiful buildings that are designed to draw your attention up, intended to be a physical presence in the city where they stand. The idea was to create these structures that were glorious in their design and their color and their architecture, And that the glory of the building would actually point you to the glory of God. That's the idea. For the first three centuries, Christians met in homes. But when Constantine became a Christian, he started the trend of building these buildings, which wasn't a new idea for him, necessarily, because in the ancient world where he lived, there were temples all over the place. Temples were the place where your god, little g, dwelled, little... Lowercase g, God, dwelled. And this is an idea that has certainly been familiar to the church in Corinth. Back in week one, I mentioned that the city of Corinth was this bustling, busy city with a diversity of religious views and beliefs. Various Greek gods would have been worshipped in Corinth. There were some temples built to these various gods. And to any Jews that would have been hearing Paul's words here in this letter, they would have been familiar with the temple of God in Jerusalem. So Paul says to the church in Corinth, don't you know, almost like, duh, like it's, it's, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. God wants a temple, Paul says, but that temple is not what you think it is. God wants to dwell on this earth, but it's not in a building. It's in his people. You're right, Paul says, that God does want the temple to glorify God. God does want his temple to point people's eyes to him and for the glory in their life to point to his glory. But it's not the temple that you're thinking that it is. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple? God wants the temple to be beautiful. And for people to look at the temple and to admire its beauty. But the criteria that determines the beauty of God's temple is not how ornate it is. What color and stones are used in its construction. The criteria that determines the beauty of this new temple is the cross. The criteria that determines the beauty of your life is not you or how good or bad you did this last week. The criteria that determines the beauty of your life, this new temple, is the cross. The cross is what makes this new temple sacred. Connected to God is what that word means. The cross is what makes it sacred. Before the church is ever a physical thing, it is a spiritual thing, a people. People, plural. All the language in this, in this part of this letter is plural. It, only, it is only together that you are the temple, that this happens. And just think, just think for, for a minute with me about the brilliance of this change. Right, The temple building is a fixed structure that is in one place. The temple people are a, is, is a movable person that can be anywhere. With the temple in a fixed location, the Spirit of God dwells there. Where do you go to meet God? You go to the temple to meet God. To experience God most fully, that's where you go. This is why Jews would make the trip to Jerusalem from all over the place to go to the temple. But with the temple as a people, the Spirit of God is not bound by a physical structure. With the temple being a people, Paul says, sacred space is wherever the Spirit-filled people are. The church is the temple of God. So then I think we read these words Differently, if we understand them, not as individual instruction, but as a collective message for all of us. If anyone attempts to destroy the church, that's what he's saying, God's temple, it isn't going to go well because God's temple, God's people are sacred. So what does, that, what does that mean, though? What is that, what's involved with that, that we're God's temple? I know, I know I hear you saying that, Doug, but what does it mean that we're God's temple? What does it mean that we're the church, the body of Christ? Well, to answer that, I actually want to look at, a, at the first place in Scripture that the church is mentioned. It's actually mentioned by Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. I just want to read these, these words and then talk about them for just a minute. This is right after... Peter has confessed that Christ is the Messiah. And so Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Peter, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And upon this, this rock, that, that, that word Peter, is, is, it actually means like pebble or stone. It's a nickname. So Jesus is saying, upon this little rock, this little pebble, Peter, the people, I will build this rock, big rock, boulder my church. And we miss that translation in the English language. But he's, he's saying, upon the little rock, the people, all the people, Jesus will build his big boulder of a rock, the church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus says that he will build the church. Paul doesn't build the church. I don't build the church. You don't build the church. Jesus builds the church. But what is the body through which he builds it? The way that Jesus builds it. The way that he builds it is through us, right? And it's a little bit confusing because we're not the builders of it. Jesus is doing the building, but Jesus uses us as his hands and feet, as the skin that the Spirit gets to carry wherever the Spirit goes. And here's the mandate. Here's the thing that we need to be worried about. We need to be sure and certain about. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. You are going to be, Jesus says, as Jesus builds the church, an unstoppable force. You're going to bulldoze areas in our world where there are demonic strongholds where Satan is at work. You're going to storm the gates of hell and those gates will not stand up against you. And you're going to be able to do that, Jesus says, because he'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Binding and loosing. What what does that mean, binding and loosing? Binding and loosing. What If we bind on earth, it's going to be bound in heaven. If we loose on earth, it's going to be loosed in heaven. What does that mean, right? In other words... We are the one through whom God works. The world is in bondage. We're, we're aware of that. And what Jesus did on the cross was to deal the enemy a fatal blow. That it, he, he, put, he put Satan on notice, is essentially what he did on the cross, that ev- everything he was going to be doing from the cross forward was going to be like you know, grasping at the wind. Satan knew from the cross forward that he really didn't have any power and then he's going to ultimately accomplish and put an end to any you know any influence that Satan still has when he returns one day. And in the meantime, the church is the body of Christ who is still here. So in his first body, he hung on a cross and he dealt a blow to the enemy. And in his second body, in his second body, you and I get to be who Christ was initially, we get to be him now, in in a, a million different places all over planet earth. So in his body he dealt a blow, and now in Christ's second body, the church, he has called us to carry out the work that he started. Walls that are raised in opposition to God will be torn down, Jesus says. Paul is, I think, saying the same thing as he tells this church in Corinth what their focus should be what their purpose should be so anytime we do kingdom work it may feel good to us to even be doing that kingdom work but what it really what's really happening is that the enemy is being pushed back and what we're all about is binding and loosing that's our target that's our goal what we bind right we bind anything that does not agree with God we bind anything that we limit and restrict and bind anything that does not agree with God, and we unleash everything that does agree with God. That is our purpose, our central pursuit to glorify God by seeing His will done on earth. As it, as it is in heaven. So here's, here's some examples of what I mean. We bind up the, the work of the enemy, and we unleash the power of God. We bind up sickness, and we see healing released in the lives of people. We bind up enemy strongholds, and we release the truth into our world. What do I, what, you know, Some of you this week, there were thoughts in your mind that you know weren't from Christ they were from the enemy and in Christ you have the power to take that thought captive and release truth into your spirit because of the power of God we bind up oppression and we set God's people and God sets people free we bind up hatred and we release the love of God so anywhere we see hatred happening we go nope that's not anything that has anything to do with God we're going to release love into that space where the world is telling us that the thing to release is hatred We bind up despair, and we release the hope of God. We bind up anxiety, and we release the peace of God. We bind up lies, and we release the truth of the Word of God. We bind up broken families, and we release healthy families. We bind up apathetic believers, and we release passionate believers for Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the church of Jesus Christ. And we have a lot of fun along the way, but the purpose isn't fun. We have a lot of programs, but the purpose isn't programs. Everything we do is all about this purpose of engaging in the work of God. We have a children's ministry because we believe that it is valuable to see the will of God done in children's lives. We have a student ministry because we want to see students prioritizing faith in Jesus Christ beginning at a younger age than maybe some of us started taking Jesus seriously and encouraging them to put Christ first in their life starting now. We have a Hope Center across our parking lot because we believe that helping create stability in people's lives through housing will lead them to a greater spiritual stability as well. We have, we're a church that's focused on missions because we believe God's work is always about what God is doing in the world, and we want to partner with God in any way that we can find, and other people to participate in that work. This is also why smaller, small things like serving matters, why marriages matter, why forgiveness matters, why loving your enemy matters, because all of those things are about trying to bind up what doesn't belong to God and get rid of it and to loose the power of God into those things places. This is why making casseroles and showing up at wedding showers and teaching classes and going on mission trips and volunteering to prepare communion and rocking a baby in the nursery all matter because they are all kingdom work and we are the body of Christ, the church, and the Lord is relying on you to play your part. You have a beautiful role to play. What the whole accomplishes you accomplished too. I accomplished too. This morning I was talking to a group in our starting point class and I was talking about the little dresses for Africa ministry that, we, that we're a part of, one of our mission works that we do. And I said to the class, we made so many dresses last year, right? How many dresses did I make last year? Zero. But I participated in that work because I'm a part of a body. And part of our body did make over a thousand dresses. I, I lose count every time I ask, but it's... A lot of dresses that, ha- that were made that you may not have made, sewn one stitch of clothing, but you made them too because you're a part of something bigger than you. And the question for us to consider that Paul is asking the church in Corinth is are you being the body of Christ or have you bought into the myth that you are just a spectator? Do you know That this stuff that we do is more important than anything else that we could do. Do you know that you are the temple of God, he says, and that God dwells in the midst of you? Do you know that you yourself are God's temple, the church, and that the Spirit of God dwells in your midst and that nothing is impossible with those realities in play, and they are in play? So this morning, to conclude our time, we're going to sing the song, Just As I Am. And as a a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you this morning to sing these words with all of your heart, to fill this room with your praise. I want you to, to, before we sing, I just want you to, I want to read some of the words of this song we're about to sing. Because I think what happens is once we realize that we're the church, we're the body of Christ, and the Spirit of God dwells within us, it should release us into worship. It should release us into praise. And the words of this song say, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace my freedom bought. And now to glory in your cross, O Lamb of God, I come. I come broken, to be mended, wounded, to be healed. Right, This is our story. This is who we are. And it, another way to say those words is you are God's temple and God dwells in your midst. The criteria that determines the beauty of this new temple is the cross. You are God's temple because of the blood of the Lamb that was shed on that cross, and that reality should lead us into worship. We worship not because of what we have done or who we were, but because of what God has done and who God is. And so this morning I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. I want to invite Joe to come on up and to begin uh, preparing to lead us, and I want to just encourage you this morning, if, if you want to receive prayer, I'll be down front, and there'll be an elder in the back. You're encouraged to find somebody around you, um, but I want to mostly encourage us to respond to this new reality as we think about being God's temple and the Spirit of God dwelling in our midst. Together, we are God's temple, Paul says, and that that leads us into worship because we understand, oh. See, sometimes we get confused. We start thinking, well, I don't really feel like God's temple. And so Paul says, no, the criteria that determines whether or not you are a temple of the living God has already been accomplished at the cross. And the beauty of that new temple is seen by God through the cross. And so we go, well, what, what other response can we have except to worship with all of our hearts. And so the invitation this morning is to God in whatever way you need to respond. And I want to ask you to sing as if you understand this reality, that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in our midst, and that we are an unstoppable force. The church, global church, is an unstoppable force as this reality sets in to our hearts and minds and spirits. If you'd like to have somebody pray with you, You can do that or find someone around you, but let's worship God as we sing this next song together.
1: Just as I am. It's bought, o Lamb of God, I come, I come. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate. To be, be rescued I come empty to, to be, be filled, filled. I, I come, come guilty to be pardoned me. by the blood of Christ the Lamb and I'm welcome with blood Be seated.